This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. So I want to take you back to 2001. Our family moved to Long Island, New York to take a pastorate there at the Three Village Church near Stony Brook. And shortly into the pastorate, a uh, family came to us and said, we have to move. Um, would you consider adopting our two-year-old dog named Dwight? And they said, Dwight's an amazing dog. He's really good with kids. Um, he never runs away. He's really obedient. He's just the sweetest dog you could ever imagine in your life. And so I looked at Dwight and I thought, oh, he's so sweet. I mean, who could, uh, who could not love that dog? So we adopted him. And I found out that some of the things that these people said were true. He was great with the kids. He was an amazing family dog. Some of the things were, I believe, outright lies to get us to adopt him. So he was really disobedient. He ran away every chance he got. And he did not just run, he forsook us for days at a time. <laughs> Running through the underbrush, howling with his houndy howl, embarrassing us, neighbors calling the police on us. Police showing up, saying we're in violation of doggy regulations on Long Island, etc. It was hard to love that dog. <laughs> you know, I think that so many things in life are that way. At first we think, love is easy. It's going to be easy to love. It'll be easy to love this person. So you get married. You look at your spouse, say, this is going to be easy. You have children. This is going to be easy. Your parents grow older. This is going to be easy. You, you move into a city, and you say, I love this city. Or you start working for an organization or a company, or you get involved in a small group or a church, and then you begin to see the brokenness in that person or those people or that institution, and you realize it is not easy to love. I've been haunted by a question for the last 10 years, a question from a mentor of mine that goes simply like this. How can you know the world, really know the world, in all its brokenness, and still love it? How can you know people the way they really are, and still love them? It's so easy to check out. It's so easy to escape. It's so easy to shut down. It's so easy to live comfortably numb which I didn't realize that was a Pink Floyd song, but it's so easy to be numb. It's so easy to, it's so easy to lash out in anger. Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 24, he said, there's going to be a day coming, a day of lawlessness, he said, a day of lawlessness when the hearts of many will grow cold. You don't think we're in that day? When the hearts of many will grow cold. Well, we've been looking this summer at a, Amazing man of God, a prophet of God, Jeremiah, one of the towering figures of the entire Bible. Scholars have noticed the, the great comparisons between Jeremiah and, and Jesus in their personality. It's, it's true. And here's the thing about Jeremiah. He lived in a time of disorder, a time of disintegration, a time when disaster was coming upon his nation. And yet, he never lost heart. Somehow, he figured out how to keep loving the broken world the way God loved the broken world. At times, he fell apart. 
So we get throughout the book of Jeremiah, and this is the last, the 10th sermon in a series on the book of Jeremiah, so this is sort of a recap. At times, Jeremiah has these confessions. It's almost like he opens up his journal, his very personal private journal, and he says, you want to know what I was really feeling? You want to know what I was really thinking? You want to know how low I was spiritually? Let me tell you. Here's what my prayers were during those dark days when I felt like God abandoned me. So chapter 12, verse 1 is one of those. And it says, he says, he prays, Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you, yet I would plead my case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are uh, treacherous thrive? So Jeremiah's really honest. But his love never grows cold. A miracle happens. He's actually, he becomes fully human, fully alive the way God created us to be. And I want to know, as I, so I'm reading the book of Jeremiah, and I'm, I'm going, how does he do that? For 40 years, he preached to the people of God. I get discouraged after four days. He kept it up for 40 years. So I started rereading the book of Jeremiah from chapter 1. It's like, I'm going to just go back, and I'm going to read the whole thing, and I'm going to see how he did this. Well, I'll get to that, but hold on, because... I want us to understand his context first and how hard this really was and what a miracle this was and how much his context, there's so many parallels to our context. So Jeremiah lived in a time of great crisis. It was first of all a spiritual crisis. First and foremost, fundamentally, at its root, a spiritual crisis. So in the second sermon in, the second sermon in this series, I, I preached on Jeremiah 2 where the Lord says to his people, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. Here's me, the fountain of living water, the Lord says. And instead, they have made for themselves broken cisterns, broken wells that can hold no water, that cannot satisfy their thirst. That is the fundamental issue in the book of Jeremiah. It's really the fundamental issue in the Bible of what's wrong with the world. But it was also, for Jeremiah, it was a leadership crisis. So the religious leaders were superficial. Jeremiah said, you keep saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. You heal the wounds of God's people superficially. You don't call out their sin. You just want to be popular. You just want to be with it. The political leaders were also just as bad. They were corrupt. They were conniving. They pretended to listen to the word of God, but they didn't. And Jeremiah, you see him constantly locking horns with people in the most po powerful position in the land, calling them out, criticizing them. It was also an injustice crisis. So Jeremiah says, well, actually the Lord says later in the book of Jeremiah, he says, execute justice in the morning and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed. Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness and his upper rooms by injustice who makes his neighbor serve him for nothing and does not give him his wages. He's calling out a specific form of injustice. People who worked but then didn't get a fair wage. Now he didn't say what the wage should be. He didn't have a policy recommendation, but he did say, you gotta pay people fairly, that's unjust. It was also a judgment of God crisis. Jeremiah kept saying, this just can't keep going on forever. 
there's going to be an intervention. You know, when somebody's involved in an addiction and their friends say, I just can't keep seeing you live this way. We are going to plan an intervention and shock you back into line. So in the context of Jeremiah, the intervention was a political event. The nation from the north, the superpower from the north, Babylon, was going to come into the capital city and was going to ransack it and was going to take away people and bring them into exile. And Jeremiah kept saying, it's coming. I tell you, it's coming. The Lord is warning you. And the kings and the religious leaders said, nah, it's not that bad. Really, it's going to be okay. Now, we read about the judgment of God in the book of Jeremiah. And if you're like me, you probably cringe a little bit. You're going, oh, that's so harsh. I want a nice God. I want a loving God. I don't want a God of wrath, a God of justice. And I would say, really? Are you sure about that? Because we sure seem to have a sense of justice. It's broken. It's flawed. It's warped. But when we see people getting blatantly victims of injustice, it makes us angry. Racial justice makes us angry. Economic injustice makes us angry. And we say, it's got to be, this has got to be right. Well, what if, just what if, when the Bible talks about the wrath of God, it is talking about a being who is perfect in justice, who is going to set everything straight. But what if that justice is so thorough and so deep that all of us, not just those people, not just them, but all of us stand under the justice of God. All of us will be swept away by his wrath unless there's redemption in his intervention, which we'll get to. So for Jeremiah, it was a spiritual crisis. It was a leadership crisis. It was an injustice crisis. It was a judgment of God crisis. It was also a personal crisis. So back in Jeremiah chapter 1, God called him as a young man or even a teenager. But he was young. And God called him. And we can imagine he's, he, he's flushed and he's full of excitement. And I'm going to go out and I'm going to change the world and I'm going to make a difference. Forty years, what happened? He met human sin. He met injustice. He met corruption. He met a wounded, wayward world. At every turn, Jeremiah faced opposition. The religious and political leaders, the ordinary people didn't listen to him. The religious and political leaders mocked him. They insulted him. They took his, his scrolls that where she had written down the word of the Lord, and the king took it and ripped it up piece by piece and threw it into the fire at one point. They imprisoned him. They put him in stocks. They threw him into a pit. Hardly anybody listened to him. He was not successful. In human terms, it was a colossal failure in terms of who he recruited. You know, I was reading a, a poem this, while I was on vacation. I read this poem by a British poet named Stephen Spender. And the poem is called, What I Had Expected. And the first stanza begins with this line, what I had expected was, and he goes on to say, what I expected was that life was going to be great. Life was going to be hard, but it was going to be an amazing adventure. 
and it was going to be bold, and then I would rest. And then the second stanza, he, he says this, what I had not foreseen was the gradual day, weakening the will, leaking the brightness away. And I read that line, I go, oh, isn't that the battle we're in for your heart? Things causing us to leak the brightness away. We start out so great, then life hits us. The world's problems hit us. Our own sinfulness hits us. The sinfulness of other people hits us. And yet Jeremiah is a man who doesn't lose heart. His love doesn't grow cold. So how did he do that? Well, here's, here's the answer I found as I started rereading Jeremiah from chapter 1 again. And just let me say it really simply. He tapped into something real. Now, that sounds really kind of weak, but that's, that's the answer. He tapped into the reality of the steadfast love of God, the covenant love of God for wayward, broken, sinful people. So I started with chapter 1, and I started rereading, and I got to chapter 12, the passage that you heard. And it's a passage of judgment. It's a passage of intervention. And yet, in the midst of that, there were also this amazing terms of endearment that the Lord calls his wayward people. And I want to show you my Bible work, because as Bishop Stewart says, my Bible work. So do your Bible work. So I did my Bible work. There's my Bible work. And you can do this in your Bible. You can circle things in your Bible. You can engage with the biblical text. And, and look at that. Look at what God calls his people. You are my house. You are my heritage. You are the beloved of my soul. You are my heritage. You are my heritage. You are my vineyard. You are my portion. You are my pleasant portion. Almost 50 times in the book of Jeremiah, God calls his people who have forsaken him Almost 50 times, he calls them my people. You are still my people. In the immediate context, he's referring to the Jewish people. And it, it's really important for us to get that. Because God has not passed over the Jewish people. God made a covenant with them. They are still the beloved of my soul. And the New Testament says there's going to be an ingathering of Jewish people to Jesus the Messiah. And, and, and we hope for that. They are still his beloved people, but it's also for the church. It's for us. It's our story. It's for you this morning. The Apostle Paul summarized the gospel this way. God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When did Christ die for us? How did he demonstrate his love for us? When we were good? When we were really obedient? When we got our act together? No, while we were yet sinners. And it's for the world. Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I was talking to a friend today at, coffee, at a coffee shop in my, town, my hometown of Aurora. She doesn't go to church. She's not a believer. But she, she always jokes with me about my chats, she calls them, which is a sermon. So she says, what are you chatting about this Sunday? And I thought, and I said, well... It's kind of about God's incredible love for messed up people. 
And she, she leans back and she laughs and she goes, oh, I better be there for that one. I said, why don't you come? She said, oh, the roof would collapse on me. And I said, well, you can live stream. Uh, and then she got in, disinterested. But that is the heart. God's love for broken, disordered, numb, angry, distracted, checked out people. Jeremiah tops, taps into that. He hears the Lord's heart beat. At times, Jeremiah and the Lord in, in the book of Jeremiah, you, Old Testament scholars will say you can't really tell who's talking sometimes. Is it the Lord or is it Jeremiah? One Bible scholar puts it this way, for the voice of one expresses the heart of the other, and the tears of one flowed for the grief of the other. There's only one place in the whole Bible where you will hear more of the heart of God, a God of justice, a God of wrath, and yet a God of steadfast, covenant, tender love for wayward people. There's only one place you will find a deeper expression of that, and that's at the cross of Jesus, where the judgment of God was poured out so the grace of God could be released. For 40 years, Jeremiah has been drinking that in, dwelling with it, walking with the Lord, listening to the Lord, obeying the Lord until his eyes see what God sees, until his heart beats with the heart of God, until his tears flow with the tears of God. I've been thinking recently about the city of Chicago. We don't live there, but we're pretty close, and we all have friends there. From January to July of this year, there have been 440 murders in the city of Chicago. In July alone, there were 109 murders, seven months. That's about a 50% increase from the first seven months of last year. How do you love a city and a people that is that violent and broken? We have a friend, Pastor Michael Wright, Pastor Michael Wright has his church there at Christ Tabernacle. Bishop Stewart was there last week. We, he invited us to come for his revival, and he invited us to come and to work with him, work with his church people, to invite people to the revival meetings and to a free meal. And so we spread out through the neighborhood, spread out through the neighborhood in teams, and we walked around, we prayed with people, we invited people to come. And I want to show you a scene from that evening. It was Saturday night. It was the last night of the revival there's, there's the scene. So Pastor Michael has got a family from the community. He's laying his hands on them. He's praying for them. Uh, some of us are surrounding them, praying for them. This is a man who's got a Jeremiah-like heart for his neighborhood. I love that. It inspired me. And Jeremiah has a God of the covenant heart. Let me ask you just two things. Has the brightness leaked away? How has the brightness leaked away? Maybe you've tapped into something, but it's not the Lord. Maybe recently you've been tapping into fear 
or you've been tapping into anger and outrage, or you've been tapping into shame, or you've been tapping into performance, just got to keep doing more and better, or maybe you're tapped into lust, or maybe you're tapped into greed. There's two things I want to encourage you to pray about, to think about. First, confess to the Lord. Confess to the Lord about where you really are. Repent, which is relinquishing, turning from those things that you're tapping into that are not giving you life. Secondly, seek. Seek to practice those spiritual disciplines which will help you connect with the Lord. You're, you're listening today, or you're here, that's one thing. That's an opportunity to tap into the Lord. Come for Eucharist. As we say in our Anglican tradition, feed on Christ in your hearts by faith and with thanksgiving. You're feeding on Jesus. How can you keep not doing that? Open your Bibles. Engage with it. Read it. Meditate on it. Write it out. Memorize a verse. Not just as a performance, but to tap into the love of God. Tell a friend you need prayer. Reach out to a friend and encourage him or her. Meet as a church family. That's how we tap into the abundant mercy of God. Here's my favorite of all the things that God calls his people. Here's my favorite in Jeremiah 12. They are the beloved of my soul. They are wayward. They are idolatrous. They are disobedient. They have forsaken me. But they are the beloved of my soul. Tap into that. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.